and welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I take a look at new films that are out in theaters, VOD, streaming services, wherever you get your new movies. You can check out the link on my website. That's at Quipster.net. Today, I'm going to round out the third and final of the bumbling detective films in the 1980s. I just took a look at two Pink Panther films, and we're going to follow up with the film in what actually ended up being a trilogy of films, but two of the three films were in the 1990s, the sequels. The original one, though, is in the 1980s, and I will be covering that today. It's from 1988, and it's called The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. It's a PG-13 rated film. It does have some crude and sexual humor, brief nudity, and language. The runtime is an hour and 28 minutes. Leslie Nielsen is the main star. Priscilla Presley, Ricardo Montalban, George Kennedy, O.J. Simpson, and Jeanette Charles are in the film as well. David Zucker is the director. Zucker also co-writes the screenplay along with Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Pat Proft. Now, if you're familiar with the Naked Gun franchise, you'll know that it is based on a very short-lived television show. It came out in 1982. It was a screwball comedy called Police Squad. Police Squad was primarily a parody of TV police dramas of the past. For instance, there was this 1950s television show called M-Squad. That was the main inspiration from which a lot of the jokes spun off of. That was a television show starring Lee Marvin playing Lieutenant Frank Ballinger. There were also a lot of other influences, old film noir, detective films, etc. Despite substantial critical acclaim at the time, it did receive two Emmy nominations, one for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series, and the other for Leslie Nielsen himself as the lead actor in a comedy series. You know, this zany show, it ran on ABC, but it was canceled after only four episodes aired. A total of six total episodes were produced. The president of ABC's entertainment division at the time, a man named Tony Thomopoulos, he attributed the failure of the show to it being a television show that required strict attention from its viewers in order to appreciate it due to the nonstop gags, the kind of attention that a lot of people were not giving it because they were used to conversing with each other or just having it on in the background at the time. So they didn't quite get it because they weren't quite paying attention to it. Now, in a movie theater, you're locked into the experience, but at home, your show is competing with a 100 other distractions that you might have. So liking what they had despite its failure on television, there was a a period of time where Paramount Pictures discussed making a movie out of that television series using the footage of the series, and then they were going to roll it out in Europe primarily by combining the episodes and adding some additional material to hold it together. However, that never really made it past the suggestion phase, unfortunately. In the interim, over the next several years, Police Squad would end up becoming a cult favorite, a cult hit on home video, and that was enough to spark interest in a possible return to this series by making it into that movie that they were trying to make anyway. Series creators David Zucker, his brother Jerry, and their childhood friend from their Milwaukee days, Jim Abrams, 
Along with frequent collaborating partner in writing, Pat Proft, they had worked with him since their first big break pulling together the script for 1977's The Kentucky Fried Movie. They all began writing a script based on their Police Squad series into a whole new original feature film. Now, learning the lesson from their failed attempt at following up on the wildly popular Airplane from 1980 with a box office misfire in 1984 called Top Secret, this quartet of writers decided that the difference between the hit and the miss was that Airplane had a pretty good story that the jokes hung off of, whereas Top Secret was more of a collection of jokes that were strung together by a story that wasn't as strong. So they knew that the key to generating a good comedy was not necessarily due to the jokes, but also in keeping the interest of the viewer in the story itself. The one thing that they had a hard time doing was trying to figure out how to get this jokey premise into a collection of acts, because movies have usually three acts into this. This one actually had a very good third act. In fact, it ends with one of the most hilarious third acts in a comedy, and it's based around the game of baseball, something that many viewers find instantly relatable and familiar, and they finish up the film as strongly as any comedy I think made in the decade. It's a finale so strong, the writers came up with the ending first in their writing process, and then they worked their way into how they were going to get there. Baseball itself is rife for comedy. It's a sport that's taken quite seriously among its fans, even though there are funny aspects to it. I mean, spitting chewing tobacco and bench-clearing brawls, players grabbing their crotches and whatnot. I mean, it's a sport that is pretty funny for those people who are not used to it and take it very seriously. Now, Z-A-Z, as Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker are known in the short form, they had a good relationship with Paramount Chair and CEO Frank Mancuso Sr. He ended up greenlighting the film to move forward without any argument, regardless of the baggage that they may have had as a failed TV series or the fact that Z-A-Z were coming off of a box office failure in Top Secret. Paramount slated The Naked Gun for a summer 1988 release, although delays would end up pushing it toward the Christmas season. In fact, early December is when it was finally released in 1988. Paramount Pictures requested that the team, though, they change the original title that they had of Police Squad because they didn't want audiences to confuse it as an entry in Warner Brothers' successful comedy cop series called Police Academy, which was actually co-created by ZAZ collaborator Pat Proft. So further continuing the confusion there, Paramount offered them nearly two dozen potential alternate names before they ended up choosing one of them called The Naked Gun. They coyly claimed that this title promised so much more than it could possibly deliver, and they went with that one. Leslie Nielsen here, he stars as Lieutenant Frank Drebin, who, like Inspector Clouseau that I talked about in the prior two episodes, he seems to have a high success rate in closing his cases despite being an overconfident buffoon. His latest case involves trying to prevent the assassination of Queen Elizabeth II while she's on a visit to America, and a hunch leads Drebin to look into this wealthy philanthropist named Vincent Ludwig, played by Ricardo Montalban. Frank thinks he's also a scam artist, so he's looking into him, but while he's investigating, he ends up falling for Ludwig's beautiful but klutzy assistant Jane Spencer, played by Priscilla Presley. Now, that's just a very basic plot. Most of the appeal of The Naked Gun does not come from the plot, but it is one you can follow if you want to get into it. Now, like Zucker's, Abrams Zucker's prior efforts with Airplane and Top Secret, Naked Gun 
takes this irreverent kitchen sink approach to its comedy. No comedic device is too outlandish to employ to get laughs. You have puns and psych gags, many, many meta jokes. Even the end credits are full of jokes to entertain for those people who like to scan through them for the made-up roles and occupations behind the scenes. ZAZ, as I'll refer to them from here on out, they regularly sifted through old movies, old television shows for inspiration for their comedy. Uh, Influences here drew upon classic noir detective films, TV shows of the 50s through 70s. There's a scene where Jane is strolling down a flight of stairs that's inspired directly from one in 1975's film called Farewell, My Lovely. The assassination of the Queen of England is inspired by the plot of 1973's The Day of the Jackal, where Charles de Gaulle was targeted. They drew some inspiration from the 1977 Charles Bronson flick called Telephone, specifically in the way that it uses code words to try to turn seemingly innocent people into assassins. Some additional inspiration for that also came from the Manchurian Candidate. And a good deal of the tone and tempo of the cop show vibe overall is cultivated from the Dirty Harry movies, with Frank Drebin himself taking on a little bit of Clint Eastwood in his gung-ho style. Leslie Nielsen, he really represents the character of Frank Drebin well. You know, he spent many years as a dramatic actor, but Airplane showed that he had quite a penchant for comedy. His dramatic chops do come through big for the role, for the comedy. The laughs mostly come due to the fact that Drebin is completely serious amid all of the klutzy antics. In real life, though, Leslie Nielsen was every bit the jokester. He would carry around a fart machine wherever he went to break the tension for some juvenile laughs. Reportedly, as they were making this film and he was using this fart machine, there was uh, Ernie Banks, who, a Hall of Fame baseball player, used to play for the Cubs. He was visiting the set and he became so enamored of the fart machine that he asked his son, Joey Banks, who was serving as the advisor and the main wrangler for the on-screen ball players, to buy two fart machines for him. Now, despite a long and distinguished career, Lieutenant Frank Drebin would be the role that most people would end up associating with Leslie Nielsen, something he ended up readily embracing. During his funeral in 2010, which was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, of which Leslie Nielsen's father had been a member when he was alive, they carried the Canadian actor's coffin as Ira Newborn's theme music to Police Squad played in the background. Leslie Nielsen is surrounded here by a very appealing supporting cast, including the not often utilized Priscilla Presley as the main love interest. After dabbling with the notion of casting Bo Derek for that part, reportedly Bo Derek was intimidated by the notion of doing a very fast-paced comedy, ZAZ chose Presley because she had never done comedy before. In fact, ZAZ preferred non-comedic actors for most of its major roles because it kept the audience off guard. They liked the look and the style that they got from Priscilla Presley. She did work as Jenna Wade on the TV series Dallas. She does a really wonderful job here in the role despite her lack of experience in comedies. George Kennedy was one of the actors ZAZ wanted to appear in Airplane back in the day, but he had already been committed to an entry in a film series that they were actually spoofing at the time, Airport. He was appearing in Airport 79. Universal would not let him cross studios to appear in a spoof of their own property. The part in Airplane that was meant for George Kennedy ended up going to Lloyd Bridges instead. Now, reportedly, Paramount insisted that ZAZ put an Oscar winner to be part of the main cast of The Naked Gun. Kennedy did fit the bill, and so he was given a second chance for this series, unrelated to anything else he had going. He ends up portraying police captain Ed Hawken. 
Kennedy was very much looking forward to working with the creative comedy trio, and he did find it an overall rewarding experience. But he also found it very difficult as an actor because of the way that they did the comedy, because every scene would be done 40 or more times. They did dozens of takes for every particular scene, so repetitive that it ended up being no longer funny, and the actors had a hard time trying to get the right pitch, the right cadence for it to be funny. But that was okay with ZAZ, because they didn't want it to be funny. They wanted their actors to shoot it straight. The comedy would come from the fact that they took it seriously. Ricardo Montalban took the role because he had rarely done comedies. After many years on television playing Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island, he helped that being in The Naked Gun would help further erode being typecast. Montalban ended up quipping at the time in interviews that he did the film strictly for the money and that he would use that money to buy a new Chrysler. He was the spokesperson for Chrysler cars at the time. Weird Al Yankovic gets a cameo appearance in all three of the Naked Gun films. He definitely is featured here. Yankovic said that Police Squad was his favorite show of all time, and when he learned that the producer of his mockumentary called The Complete Owl was beginning to work on a movie version of his favorite TV show, he begged him to find a way to get him somehow in the film or even behind the scenes of the film, even if he was going to play an extra in the background or work in craft services. He wanted to be a part of it somehow. That producer ended up relaying Yankovic's fanboyism to ZAZ, and they eagerly wrote a cameo for him in the film. And after it was completed, Weird Al, during his days when he would date a lot, a lot of women, he claimed he would bring his first dates to see the movie just to see the reaction on their faces when his cameo appeared. In fact, he would wear the same Hawaiian shirt as he does in the movie just to further punctuate the element of surprise. Reggie Jackson also makes a small but very significant appearance as the right fielder for the California Angels, which is what they were called between 1965 and 1996. Now, he was not necessarily playing a lot of right field at that time. He was mostly used as a designated hitter for his final years of play. The curiosity is that Reggie Jackson is was no longer a California Angel at the time. In fact, the last team he had played for was the Oakland A's in 1987. He had just retired from the game. The filmmakers were not dissuaded by that, though. They felt that they needed a cultural icon like Reggie Jackson, who is known by most of the viewing audience, young and old alike. And just to further rankle nitpicking baseball fans, the footage beyond the initial establishing shot of the stadium outside was filmed in Dodger Stadium, despite the fact that it's supposed to take place in Anaheim Stadium, where the Angels played at the time. ZAZ originally wanted the teams to be the Brewers, because the writers were from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, versus the Dodgers, because it's set in Los Angeles. However, when they applied for the rights to these teams, Major League Baseball told them that one of the teams had to be the Seattle Mariners, and they figure... Due to it being a struggling franchise, at least at that time, before they got Ken Griffey Jr., etc. The Dodgers, though, declined. They did not want their team to be used in this kind of film because they were worried about their image. They were willing, though, to rent out the stadium so long as the Dodger team name and the team itself was not mentioned in the film. The biggest objection they had was the depiction of the on-the-field brawl during the final sequence. They would not even let their announcer, Vin Scully, be used for the play-by-play portions of the film, so he was never asked. But Scully ended up being quite a huge fan of the film when it was finally released. In fact, he said he would have gladly done the film had he known at the time. So they ended up renting Dodger Stadium. They secured the rights to the other team in the metropolitan area, the California Angels, who played, of course, in Anaheim. 
Many of the original ideas for the baseball-based finale were unfortunately cut from the film, including the very end of the film that they had intended. They had envisioned that the end of Naked Gun would have everyone in the film get together and sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. They would have this choreographed song and dance finale. In fact, they shot part of the sequence, but then they realized as they were watching it that it actually was not very funny. And they felt that this was kind of a stupid way to end the film that's full of nonstop laughs. You can't leave everybody walking out of the theater not laughing. So they decided to end the film with the last of the big laughs that they had, which was of O.J. Simpson as Nordberg in a wheelchair launching off of a stadium balcony. That's how it goes out. The Naked Gun would end up proving to be a very solid hit for Paramount Pictures. It debuted at number one in the U.S. in its initial week of release in early December, and it remained in the top ten box office performers for ten straight weeks. It would end up, in the end, raking in approximately $78 million off of a budget of $12 to $14 million. The Naked Gun success would assure that it would get a sequel. In fact, two sequels resulted, The Naked Gun 2.5, The Smell of Fear, that came out in 1991, And The Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult in 1994, both were hits, but that third film was not as big a hit as they had anticipated. The creative team ended up disbanding, and that left the series in limbo. David Zucker would try to continue the series with Pat Proft. They came up with a script for a fourth film called, tentatively, The Naked Gun 444.4. That story would have paired Frank Drebin with a younger female partner. However, the project ended up getting dropped when David Zucker and Pat Proft ended up taking over and putting all of their creative comedic energy into continuing the Scary Movie franchise, which was deemed to be much more lucrative. That was the last of it, at least until 2013, where Paramount Pictures announced plans to continue the franchise, this time with Ed Helms playing Frank Drebin. The screenwriting team of Thomas Lennon and Robert Van Garant were brought into script. David Zucker was offered a chance to produce, but he ended up declining. He claimed that the contemporary intention for the comedy style strayed too far away from the screwball nature of the original series, and that included casting Ed Helms, who was primarily known for comedies, He felt that casting a comedic talent was antithetical to the way that ZAZ emphasized hiring mainly dramatic actors. And the film ended up in development hell. It never really went anywhere, unfortunately. Now, in 2018, things were kicked up once again when David Zucker began writing a script again with Pat Proft, along with Mike McManus, for a fourth Naked Gun film. But they had in mind Bill Hader in the lead role. And that's despite the fact that Bill Hader is primarily known for being a comedian. So kind of going against what Zucker had complained about with Ed Helms being cast. Bill Hader, rumored to be playing Frank Drebin's son, Frank Drebin Jr., And the plot involves Junior getting recruited by the CIA as a decoy, kind of like Spies Like Us. This new iteration would spoof modern-day spy-based action film series like Mission Impossible and the Bourne series and, of course, James Bond, where the son of Drebin has to uncover the mystery of his father's death while also taking on this Russian crime lord who appears to be trying to snuff out every Drebin in the world. This one also in development hell because they haven't quite proceeded forward with that, but that's where the series stands as of right now. Now, it's a bit futile to try to review a film like The Naked Gun and expect you out there, if you haven't seen it, to be able to know if this is the kind of movie for you. And the best I can say is that if you like movies like Airplane or even Top Secret or spoofs in general or entertainment that's filled with a lot of slapstick and sight gags, 
you need to give it a watch. This is the kind of movie where I could tell you the plot from the beginning to the very end, and it would not spoil your experience. But if I told you the five funniest jokes that I found in the film, that probably would. So all I can say is that you should probably make the effort to see The Naked Gun for yourself if you have not already. I personally think that The Naked Gun is the best and funniest of the screwball comedies of the 1980s. You know, Just based on the number of laughs that it generates, I get a kick out of watching this film over and over. I've probably seen it maybe 15 times over the years. I never get tired of it. It contains a lot of stupid sophomoric humor, to be sure, but I think that even that stupid humor is very smart and witty underneath. You know, There's impeccable comic timing here that could only come from seasoned comedy professionals. This is very much a well-put-together film through and through. The shotgun approach to comedy has a surprisingly high hit-to-miss ratio, allowing you to fall into this groove of giddiness that will likely have you laughing throughout the entire runtime. Repeat viewings, I think, make the film even funnier, not only for remembering the best moments, but in catching many of the jokes you may have missed the first time out. So for all of that, I'm giving The Naked Gun three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a good film, and I definitely do recommend it for people who love comedy, especially of the 1980s. If you love Leslie Nielsen and you love these kinds of spoofy comedies, I think The Naked Gun is the best of them, personally. So even better than Airplane, which I think was a classic for its era as well. Three and a half stars out of four is what I give The Naked Gun. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this look at The Naked Gun as well as the bumbling detective films of the 1980s. As far as what I'm going to cover next week, I'm going to shift it ever so slightly. In fact, it's still a bumbling detective comedy. But I'm going to go all the way back to 1980 for this. And it's also, like The Naked Gun, based on a television spoof show. That spoof show, though, was mostly from the mid to late 60s called Get Smart. And the film I'm going to be talking about was a theatrical release that came out in 1980. And it was called, well, depending on where you lived, it was either called The Nude Bomb, which is what it was called when I went to see it as a kid, being a big fan of Get Smart at the time. But in other parts of the world and on TV showings, because of the word nude, I suppose, it was called The Return of Maxwell Smart. And I will be covering that for next week. The Nude Bomb, a.k.a. The Return of Maxwell Smart on the next episode. So looking forward to that because I have not seen that in a very long time. If you want to get in touch with me, talk to me about 80s movies or even contemporary movies, you can do so by finding my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out the links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. All of those are perfectly good ways of getting in touch with me and following me there. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Relax.